you are listening to HF Atlanta Week Weekly. Uh, uh, this is Dan Hernandez filling in for Corey Langley, who will be taking a year hiatus. Today we have Mr. Thomas Rongen with us, and these are your co-hosts, Lori, Sam, and Zach. How you Hello, doing, Mr. Rongen. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. I I heard that you've been on on uh, quite quite the uh, celebrity recently. You've been on a, a bunch of uh, podcasts leading up to today. Yeah, I've got my fair share of uh, experiences right now, so I should be uh, I should be well trained and uh, I should be able to conduct this one uh, very well. I was on the uh, Yellow Card podcast, obviously the podcast with uh, um, our guys here in uh, in St. Pete in Tampa, so it's been a, it's been a fun uh, fun uh, ride so far. And now you're in Atlanta in a, on uh, in Atlanta's podcast. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you this is your first season with the Tampa Bay Rowdies, am I correct? That's correct. Uh, you were hired in December. Uh, you you've had some. Some very interesting transfers coming in into 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 the Tampa Bay squad. Uh, some of them are uh, uh, Gail like Bosamonde from the Colorado Rapids. What does someone like Mr. Agbosamonde bring into the Rapids? I mean, uh, the the Rowdies. Well, I mean, besides uh, Gale, we call him the boss. Uh, we you know we brought quite a few MLS veterans in. I thought that was important for us. Um, you know, Rich Balchin uh, from uh, Real Salt Lake, uh, Marcela Saragosa from uh, DC United, um, Mike Con Santos that played in Toronto and also uh, DC and Dallas briefly. And outside of that, we uh, we surround those guys with a few uh, younger uh, college uh, players uh, that we feel are are the future of this team, and it's become a uh, a pretty nice blend. We brought in 20 new players in the off season. We kept five from uh, from last year's squad, so we we went through a major transition. And somebody like Gale Agbusemonde, uh, you know, we expect for him to be a leader in the back, uh, to be a physical force, and to help us to shore up the defense that uh, gave up more goals last year than any other team in uh, in the NESL. Um, I mean, I, I understand that. Uh... During your time with the U20, did you coach in the Strike Boss Monday? Yes, I did. I uh, I coached him in two World Cup cycles um, in Egypt and in, in Guatemala. Uh, he played uh, during the period of time also uh, for our senior national team at one cap against uh, South Africa, in South Africa. And he's a player that uh, is still fairly young and, and still has a lot of promise, I think, and that's the reason why we brought him here. Right, because he's only 23 years old, and he's played for very good teams. And uh, I believe he's played for uh, Braga, Jer Gardens, and he played in Germany with Eintracht. Correct. Uh, Frankfurt. Yes. You're just coming off a victory in Toyota Field uh, against the San Antonio Scorpions uh, with a 3-1 victory. What were your what were what were the the Think of the keys to the, to the to the victory. Um, I I think you know it was our first game on the road, our first competitive game against the the reigning champions. I got their rings before the game, and we just wanted to spoil their party basically and rain on their parade, so to speak. So we 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 had a very good mentality going into the game. Uh, we felt confident because in preseason we had given up less than a goal a game and scored more than two. And we um, uh, we sustained their pressure early on very well. Uh, took the crowd out of the game with a timely goal after about 10 minutes uh, uh, by Stefan Antonuevich that also uh, became the, uh, the the NESL player of the week, which uh, which I think is great. And we got another goal just before halftime, which was a little bit dagger for, for them and, and took the the wind out of their sail. So we we played tactically very smart. Um, we were very aggressive on the day. Uh, you know, we ended up with yellow six yellow cards, but I think not all of them were warranted. But we uh, we didn't shy away from uh, from being aggressive on the road, which we felt we needed to be, and uh, we we got a result that we, we that we wanted. And uh, I mean, 
this, this, I mean, the win over over the last year's champions, the Scorpions. I mean, it must be huge for your players. You know, gives them a a, a boost, a confidence boost. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, as I said again, when you bring in twenty new players, um, you know, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a long process before you really all get on the same page. So I wasn't really sure before the game how well prepared we were. We we, we had worked very hard. We had played some preseason games that done well. Um, but till you play that first competitive game, uh, you never know till you know the proof is in the pudding. And, and I was very, very happy with the way we followed our game plan, and we were tactically very astute. And you know, we can't wait to uh, to get back home now and, and play a very good Minnesota uh, team as well. So uh, that should be a good match. I mean, your first friendly was against an MLS side, uh, the Philadelphia Union, in which your your side won one nil. Um, what do you what do you what do you take from that? Um, do you think NASL is is quickly catching up to MLS in terms of um, uh, uh, in in terms of um, league uh, league parity? Uh, that's, that's hard to tell. I mean, preseason is still preseason. Um, although we played against a Philly team that, that had probably about 90% of, of their starters on the field. Uh, so did we, um, it was very early in preseason for us. Obviously MLS uh, started a little bit earlier than, uh, than the, than the NESL. And I feel this overhaul that, that there's some very competitive teams in, in NESL that at any given day, uh, can give MLS teams uh, some problems. I mean, some teams have shown that in the past. Uh, this team, I think, beat Seattle last year in the Open Cup. Uh, so, as I said, again, any given day, I think an NESL team can be very competitive. The league, I think uh, the quality of the league uh, is going up each and every year, and, and that's the same for this year again. I think all teams have, have improved, and the product on the field will be better. Um, and hopefully that will will show in in the Open Cup with some of the NESL teams play some of the MLS teams. I understand you only had two losses, and that was one to uh, uh, Sporting Sporting CP's uh, B team and uh, FC Montreal. I mean that's very impressive for a team. You know you've you've just put together with um, with 20 new players and only five. I mean that's that's those are very impressive results, especially playing teams in in the lower leagues of um, in the second division uh, in Portugal and um, um, uh, well, I mean you're you're also playing a team. Uh, wait, no, you drew against Montreal. Am I correct? Yeah, we drew against Montreal. We lost against Malmo. Oh yes, yes, Malmo. I mean. That's also a very impressive draw against FC Montreal, who are currently playing very good soccer in MLS and in the Champions League. Correct. Now we we um, you know we we felt with uh, a lot of new faces that we needed to have a, a good preseason. We probably had the longest preseason of any NESL team. Uh, we played 11 games, uh, won seven, tied two, and, and lost two. And we played, uh, we beat Philadelphia, we beat Benfica in, in Portugal. Uh, so we had some, uh, we beat Jacksonville and Edmonton. Uh, so we had some impressive uh, results during that run, and 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 uh, we got to know each other a lot better during those uh, during those games as well. We traveled to Portugal for 10 days to do some team building and to play some. Uh, good games, and and we felt pretty good where we were after our preseason. That's why we 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 had a pretty high level of confidence going into uh, our first game against uh, San Antonio. But as I said again, you never really know till till you play the game where you really are at. And uh, we're we're in a pretty good position. And I only think over time we you know, we we're going to get better. And you're heading in play in uh you're heading this week to play. Minnesota United at home in Tampa Bay. Uh, what are what are what do you think your keys to the, the to victory this week are? Um, I think we've we've spoken about that a lot in the locker room. We we want to be uh, proactive at home. We want to uh, create at home. Uh, we want to have a you know fairly high defensive line, which means you're going to play with some risk. But at, at home, we we have to go after people. We 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 feel that our you know our stadium, our fans. That we uh, we need to use this home field advantage, and we'll be a team that's uh, 
that's going to be very adventurous, that hopefully, as I said again, can create and score some goals, minimize the other team. Uh, we're playing a very good uh, Minnesota team uh, with Iobara as, as, as the key player in midfield, obviously. Uh, we've got to make sure that we can neutralize him. Uh, Many Lago has obviously been uh, a great coach. He's a team that's going to go to MLS, so they got some great resources. And, you know, over the last few years, Minnesota has really been the team to beat, so to speak. So um, they have not played the first weekend, so they're a little bit of an unknown because they added two or three players. Um, uh, at the end of the day, as I said again, we got to worry about us uh, more than we do about the opponent and, and make sure that we can step our game up another level because we're we're going to face a team that I think will be better than San Antonio. Um, uh, doing uh, so you're playing you're playing um, Minnesota United, who has just been introduced into the MLS for the 2018 season. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's 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 great. Uh, that that teams like Minnesota are going to MLS, that a team like San Antonio is going to be considered uh, an MLS candidate. I, I know that our owner, Bill Edwards, who's uh, put a lot of resources into this team and, and, and believes in, in the soccer, uh, that eventually maybe the Tampa St. Petersburg area could be considered an MLS side as well. Um, so we're, we're, we're happy where, where the league is, how they position themselves, and that, that those teams... Uh, that are able to step to the to the next level. It's similar to players. You like players to go to the highest level. And I think there's certain teams in this league that feel that they can do the same thing. Um, do do uh, Zach, Laurie, Sam, do you all have any questions? Well, I have a question concerning MLS. Okay, when you yep. were coaching MLS, who was the opponent you most look forward to competing against? Because I know you coached D.C., New England. Was there one team that stuck out in your mind that you really look forward to? I don't know. I almost coached every team in the league. So uh, <laughs> I coached four teams, New England, uh, the Tampa Bay Mutiny, uh, Washington, D.C., where I won a championship, and, and Chivas USA was the, the coach of the first-year team there. Uh, uh-huh. You know, when when we were in D.C., the rivalry with New York was always uh, yeah. was always a good one. Uh, when I was in in, in Chivas, we called the Clasico against the Galaxy. Obviously, it was always a a, a great uh, a great game to play. So, uh, those are probably the ones that that stand out uh, the most. Okay, I'm a New York Red Bull fan, MetroStars fan. So my next Maybe. question is: <laughs> Would you ever consider coaching my team? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, who doesn't want to live in, in New York? But you have a very good coach there in, in, in Jesse Marsh and, and good leadership now with Ali Curtis. And uh, I'm sure they're going to be very successful and, and, and do the right things. Uh, I'm very happy where I'm at right now. Uh, mm-hmm. But, hey, listen, go, go, to the, go to the Big Apple would always be uh, something special. Excellent. Um. <clears throat> Uh, Mr. Rongit, you're going to be playing the Atlanta Silverbacks this year. Um, what do you think of of, um, of the recent hires? Uh, well, um, I, I, it's, I got tremendous so, tremendous respect for uh, for for Coach Smith. Obviously, that won an MLS uh, Cup in uh, in Colorado. I think it's a great choice. Uh, he's made some shrewd moves with some uh, some some players, and uh, you know, only, only time will tell. Um, you know, we're Atlanta. It's such a great city. I hope they find ownership group there and they're going to get their, their feet really on the ground and are able to run. Uh, the circumstances are a little tough right now, and I know that, but I know that uh, Gary Smith will put a good product on the field and it'll be a, a tough team to play. Yes. Um, so... You, uh, what are your thoughts currently on the national team? Um, you know what? I'm, I'm so far removed from that uh, that I, I really don't have any any real thoughts on that. I, I, I uh, you know, I've looked at obviously their, their their games they've played recently, and and you know, always late. There seems to be a, a collapse. I don't know what the reasons are. Uh, is it the substitutions? Is it 
uh, as Clinton has mentioned, lack of fitness maybe early in the in the year. Uh, is it a combination of both? Um, is it uh, you know? Is it coaching? You know, those are all things that I, from a distance, when you're not there, is, is very hard to uh, hard to judge, obviously. But but I think at the end of the day, the team again will be competitive uh, during the Gold Cup and 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 probably will reach. Uh, um, you know the the, the World Cup in uh, in Russia, and uh, hopefully can uh, can finally get uh, past the, the round of uh, sixteen. Now we all hope that too. <laughs> um, recently, um, I mean, in the, recently our results haven't been too great, and the U.S. is playing Mexico next week. What's your prediction? Well, I mean, listen, uh, regardless who Jurgen Klinsmann plays, um, historically we've always done well against Mexico. And it doesn't guarantee a win uh, because Mexico is, is on paper right now playing better football than the United States. But somehow the United States always gets up for, uh, uh, again, for a classico against Mexico, which is a huge game. Uh, the American players normally respond very well to that, and 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 I think we'll uh, uh, we'll be in this game. I'm not saying they're going to win for sure, but I don't think they'll be blown out either. I think it will be a very competitive game, and uh, it might come down to you know individual craftsmanship of a player or either team that can maybe make the difference in the game. I think it will be a, a tight affair. Uh, we'll be won by somebody uh, late. Hello. Hello. Hi, yes. I'm here. Oh, I think Everybody I did, uh, I cut up for a bit. Did we lose anyone? You didn't lose no. me. Okay. Um. So, would you ever be interested in coaching uh, coaching the national team? Yeah, I was very fortunate in '98. I was Steve Sampson's uh, assistant coach with Clive Charles. So I was in France uh, on the bench, uh, which was a very, very special moment. Uh, I've been to three uh, under-20 World Cups uh, coaching the uh, under-20 U.S. team, uh, which were very mm-hmm. special, too, working with uh, some very talented players, obviously, that are now part of our senior national team. Um, so, absolutely, you always have the ambition as a coach to get to the highest level, and the highest level is obviously uh, a, a national team. So... You know, if that opportunity ever would come, um, as I said again, similar to uh, to the New York uh, Red Bulls, <laughs> I would yeah. I would keep a I would keep a very open mind towards that. <laughs> well, I mean, why not Atlanta? I mean, Atlanta hasn't found a coach yet. No, big uh, up, Atlanta, David. You got you got you got uh, you got Gary Smith there for a while now. So uh, well, yes, no, this is coach. this is. This is for the Atlanta oh, ML, the new ML, Atlanta MLS team. I got you, the new MLS team. There you go. Yeah, I, I got to put in a call to Carlos, Carlos Bogonegra and see what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll throw in a good word for you. This Thank is you. your second. This is your second stint in Tampa Bay. Uh, I understand that you coached the Tampa Bay Mutiny in 1996. Correct. And you're currently coaching the Rowdies. Yeah. What are some of the things? You you've taken from coaching Tampa Bay the Tampa Bay Mutiny, who are sadly no longer a team in MLS. What do you take um, from from that coaching in that area? Well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, my wife and I really enjoyed living here during that uh, year and a half in '96 before I went to the New England Revolution. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, we we build a team from scratch basically in the first year of MLS because every team was an expansion team, and and we did something uh, with the same person, Farouk Qureshi, who was the president of uh, the Tampa Bay Mutiny, was also the president of the Tampa Bay Rowdies, who hired me here. We both feel that we we can do something similar, you know, bring uh, bring a team together in a short amount of time that can excite our fans, um, that our fans can can relate to, and, and vice versa. Uh, and that we, as I said again, can be successful, which we did with the Mutiny as well. We have a leading goal scorer in, in Roy Lassiter. Uh, we have the Rookie of the Year in, in Steve Ralston. We're obviously LP Bay Valderrama. 
people like Frank Yellow, who is now coach for uh, for Chicago in the back. So we we have a good team, and I feel you know although our songs here are, are a little bit different than than MLS, I feel that we we've 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 done something similar here that can uh, create a team that can be very successful in the field. Um, with with coaching with coaching um, Chivas USA, who is uh, now now defunct, but um, recently coming back with LA 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 FC. What do you what do you, what do you think some of the things that went wrong with 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 Chivas? Uh, that's that an could have been a question. Uh, you know, obviously, as you said, I was the first coach. Uh, I was attracted by this new project that. Uh, uh, would be mostly Mexicans and Mexican Americans. I felt it would be different than most MLS teams, uh, which it was. Uh, but the quality of the players that were brought in uh, from the uh, mothership, uh, Chivas Guadalajara, uh, just weren't up to the level that uh, uh, that needed to be to be successful. So, you know, two years in, um, when I stayed on as the sporting director, I hired Bob Bradley, and we changed the the course of direction and. Basically, try to put the best field, best team on the field, regardless of uh, of heritage. Uh, and the team did a little bit better with Bob. Went to the playoffs, never really won a championship, obviously in similar tracky. But I think this team early on lost its identity. Was it a, was it a Mexican team? Uh, was it a combination? Was it just a, another MLS team with American players? And I think the fan base really, really uh, didn't have a keen understanding of what the direction of of the club really was. And I think ultimately that was, that was the downfall, a team without any any identity, uh, both on and off the field. <clears throat> and then we go to what has everybody talking. Um, you you went on to coach the U20 for about five years after Chivas USA, and you decided to go to American Samoa. Um, what, 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 what was your calling? Like, um, I understand that in the, uh, in the documentary, it was said that you were the only one who applied for the job. Yeah, it was pretty much true. I mean, Sanu Galati, uh, who's still the president of, of U.S. soccer had, had asked me, um, if I wanted to maybe help, uh, this tiny island, uh, because the president of American Samoa had asked uh, the FIFA Congress, Sunil Galati, if there was anybody of technical expertise that could maybe help uh, their island through a World Cup qualifying phase. And when he put it out there, yes, I was the only one that really responded in a positive way because I I was looking for something different. I was a little, I didn't realize I was a little tired of uh, the monotony of, of MLS, you know, a little cynical, uh, you know, same old, same old. So I was looking for for a new experience, to be real honest with you, and, and for uh, which I didn't know it was going to happen, but something that would really change the course of my my coaching career, my thinking, and the way I would look at, at human beings and also players in general. So it made me a better human. It made me a better coach. It got me, again, uh, a greater appreciation for the game. And I, I fell in love with the game again, which I, you know, I, I lost that for, for, for quite some years in, in, in MLS and the the wins were okay. The losses really stung harder and harder each and every week. Uh, and emotionally, you know, I, I thought I was I was probably burned out a little bit. So this just gave me energy again, and I'm back here and, and enjoying the coaching again and, and being able to teach and uh, do it with a very receptive group, which is nice. Um, you did something very, 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 very emotional to you. You put on your daughter's hat after the win over Tonga. Yeah. Um, what, what, what led you to do this? Uh, I, I don't even know why. Actually, my wife brought, uh, brought, brought her hat with us on, on the trip. Um, not with any any real specific reason, I think, but she also, during this journey, this very spiritual journey, because that island is highly religious, um, they go to church three times a day, 
Uh, I'd never been to church. Yeah, I'll be real honest with you. Uh, I did with my players because I, I needed to show them that I cared about their culture and, and, and respected their culture, so I did. And during that whole mm-hmm. month, I, 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 as I said again, I had a spiritual awakening and, and, and got reconnected with, with my daughter and, and, and also allowed me to, you know, this is eight years later, to mourn a little bit, which I've never really did. Um, and I think my wife looked at me and, and, and realized that moment that watershed moment I had, uh, an epiphany, whatever you want to call it, and she shared my daughter's head that she would wear when she was in college at BCU, where she was a very, very good player and a freshman uh, when she passed away in a in a, sing, in a single car accident. And, and it just made sense. It just all it all fit together, and 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 somehow, as I said again, it just became a, a beautiful, emotional, spiritual ride that uh, that came to conclusion, so to speak, uh, without winning against uh, without winning against Tonga. Would so you Would you ever circle. be? What, what was that, Lori? Came full circle. Go ahead. I couldn't really hear that, but uh, if it was something nice, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you were also introduced to what in Samoa is considered a third gender, uh, the yeah. uh, the fine, which yes. what are what are what um do you think uh, with 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 what happened with Robbie Rogers coming out, and I'm not saying, you know, in, in, uh, do you think soccer is starting to accept things of this sort? You know, with... with uh... I, I really I really hope so. One, one of the things that I learned on the islands uh, is acceptance and inclusion. Uh, I'm Dutch, so we have that naturally, but what I encountered on that island, which is incredible, the, the Fafafinas, as you said, the, the trans transgenders, are totally accepted. They're part of the culture. Uh, it's, a, it's it's a huge uh, community, actually. Um, and in the Polynesian culture, that's you know normal. Nobody frowns upon that. And and I didn't either. I I, I took her as as one of the twenty players I looked at to make the team. And eventually, she became you know the first transgender player to start in a a World Cup qualifying game. And and uh, uh, it was just beautiful to see as well, you know, that um, you go to places where, where and, and I hope in the U.S. we can see that more and more. I think Lampard came out actually two days ago and said in England uh, we should have more acceptance and I hope more players come out and feel feel comfortable doing that because our society allows them to do that because our society accepts, you know, people uh, like that just like, who cares about race? Who cares about gender? Who cares about all of those things? Uh, it would, would be so much better if if they would yeah. embrace what uh, what happens in in American Samoa, for instance. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm just watching that. I don't. Uh, I guess I can speak for all of us saying that you know that that documentary and the huge courage it took for you to, to, you know, go into a little country who who had just been through so much uh, in the soccer world. I mean, that's just, that's just inspiring. I mean, you, you took on a tremendous task and, and you accomplished something that will, you know, something that, that, that just, you know, it lived with them and it just punished them, you know, I mean, that, that it's, I feel that you, you're, you know, you 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 should, you should win a Nobel Prize for what you you accomplished in Samoa. <laughs> I I really appreciate it. It was just a an incredible experience, one that I I'm 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 happy I was part of uh, with a, a a group of people, not just the players but the island people that taught me a lot about uh, about life. Um, that allowed me to be myself and to do something special with the team that lost 31 to nothing against Australia, the worst ever defeat, had not won a game in 10 years, or scored a goal for that matter. And for them to turn their fortunes around, uh, uh, all amateurs, by the way, 
that kept coming back year after year um, for more, so to speak, and always lost by double digits, uh, it speaks volumes about uh, the capacity of people um, because of their passion and their love for the game. We can learn, we can learn a lot uh, uh, from, those, uh, uh, from those people. And, and I appreciate the fact that you, you enjoyed the movie. Thank you. Um, as far as scouting goes, you, you, you looked everywhere. Um, a question, uh, one of, one of the places I, I, I want to ask is, um, because I know, I know first, uh, I know that there are a lot of Samoans in New Zealand. Did you, was that one of the places you, you, you looked in? Uh, actually, you know what, New Zealand, we didn't find anybody. We found uh, a few players who come off island in the United States, one in, in Seattle, um, one in the Midwest. Uh, there's actually more players out there, but we, we couldn't get them in time because they, uh, they couldn't get their passports. Um, but we mostly used, uh, the players that were on, on the island. Um, yeah, they're obviously very big into rugby, so the players are fairly athletic. Uh, and I was able to work with that to uh, to a certain extent and, and, and turn them around from a physical, but more so from an emotional standpoint because they were used to losing and I had to just make sure that they understood that we had a chance to win games if uh, if we did things right. So uh, you know, that was a was an interesting uh, journey, uh, um, so to speak, to, to get them all in the right frame of mind where they were able to compete and, as I said, again, eventually win and, and score a goal. So that was, was awesome. We did it with with three off-island players as well. And, and uh, there's more out there that I think can raise the level of, 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 of football in uh, in American Samoa. Um, do you look uh, – do you, do you hope that you, you can go back and uh, try and coach American Samoa back into – like into a uh, – uh, We've we've talked. Um, I would love to. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it falls right in the middle of our of our season, the NESL. Uh, I haven't really broached it yet with uh, uh, with my owner um, because I don't think it's the right thing to do. I, I've made a commitment here, and I want to. I'm one that sticks with that. So, if the right time comes up and it makes sense, uh, it could be a possibility. Um, we'll, we'll see in the next month or two what uh, what uh, what happens. Yes, because there have been coaches who um uh I believe have coached coached um a club side and a national side and I believe uh, I only know of two coaches, but the only one that comes to mind is, is uh recently New Zealand's coach with, who also coached the Wellington Phoenix. Right. Um exactly. Do you believe so Van Gaal? Uh, it wasn't Louis Louis Gaul. He coached Netherlands and Oh yeah, Manchester. true. True. Yeah, um, there's quite a few uh, that that coach club teams and and every national team uh, coach, Dick Advocaat for that matter, Rinus Miegels in '74, '78, uh, Louis van Gaal was a obviously an Ajax club coach and then coached the Dutch national team. You played for IX as well, didn't you? In my in my youth years, yeah, I, I reached a point uh, where I, I I was good enough to sign a contract, but probably not good enough to really play consistently for the first team. So that was the time actually I decided in 1979 to try my fortunes in uh, in the US and play in the old NASL uh, league, which I did. Uh, um, and never really return. I do return to the Netherlands, but I pretty much stayed in the United States and. and Made a living first as a player and then later as a coach. I mean, that that era was big, 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 big. Um, uh, my grandfather, I mean, he tells me, you know, he used to watch NASL, and he tells me he, he I mean, when I, I I actually called my grandfather, um, who was a who was an Aztecs fan, and told him that I was interviewing you, and he was he was really excited because he, as as a as a young guy, my grandfather watched, you know, Pele, George Best, you know, players, players like that that dominated, that that played in, in the NASL yeah. back then. What, what was, what led you to to move to to um to the U.S. to try NASL? Um, my coach for the, I played for the Dutch Olympic team was uh, the, the legend Rinus Miegels that won four European championships with Ajax, two with Barcelona. Won the European um, 
Cup with uh, the Netherlands in 88. And he was hired by Ellen Ruffenberg in 1997 to be the coach. And he, he called me and said, if I wanted to come over, I said, absolutely. I said, who are my teammates? Well, he said, one of them is Johan Cruyff. So I did play for two years for the Los Angeles Aztecs in 1979 and 80. Played for the Washington Diplomats and the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. The Chicago Sting. And I'm the league, obviously, in 85, 86 ceased to exist. But I was very fortunate, too, to have played with Cruyff and against George Best and Beckenbauer and, and, and some incredible players that came through the North American Soccer League. Which was your favorite team in NASL? Um, I must say my first team was probably my favorite team because it was the first team Los Angeles. I fell in love with that. Uh, George Best was there. Cruyff who probably was my probably was my hero, my childhood hero, to be able to play with him. I played both with him in, in, in L.A. and in Washington, D.C. Um, I played for some very good for the of striker teams as well. Gert Mueller was at one point on the leading goal scorer in the World Cup. Uh, Nena Kubias played for four World Cups for Peru. Uh, Elias Figueroa that represented Chile in, in two World Cups. Uh, Brian Kitt, that was Sir Alex Ferguson's uh, assistant coach uh, for many years when he went back after at the Men United. So I've been a, a very fortunate guy uh, that was a decent player, but not a great player to be able to play with and against those players. But probably the Los Angeles Aztecs was probably my favorite uh, favorite team. Um, Zach, Sam, uh, Lori, do you all have any questions? Uh, I have one. Um, it, you have a lot of history with coaching younger players. What is one thing that you would say to an up-and-coming player to kind of like advice-wise? Oof, that's a that's a tough one. And and, and you're right. I was very fortunate in in two oh three. You know, uh, front line was Eddie Johnson, Mike McGee, uh, Freddie Adu, uh, Justin Knapp, uh, Bobby Convey, Ricardo Clark. Uh, you know some 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 great attacking players, and in 207 we had obviously uh, Josie and Freddie and Michael Bradley. Um, you know, it was a very good uh, good team as well. A team that beat Brazil and, and Uruguay. Uruguay, Luis Suarez and, and Cavani up front. The Brazil had uh, Joe and Pato and Marcelo and you, you you name it. So we 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 competed very well in, in the under 20s. Uh, uh, at a lot of occasions, and you know, I, I would. And those players were, especially early on, mostly college players. And then further MLS developed. Most of these guys ended up going earlier to uh, to the MLS. You know, either after the freshman year, some guys straight from the under 17s Bradenton to uh, to the MLS as well. And I, I would just remind players just to, you know, which is to just to be themselves. I mean, a lot of times you get players that come in and try out situations um, that would try to impress people, you know, and, and, and I think very keen observers of the game realize that very quickly. Um, you know, I always used to tell my young players, you know, which need the need to grow and, and, and hone their skills in, in, in several areas. Um, you know, so... I would always tell them to play within their within their their, their realm, within their capabilities. Um, um, at times, you know, explore and get outside of the box, so to speak. Um, but don't do anything that that could potentially hurt you in in, in a setting like uh, like that. Um, be tactically astute, which is not easy because players are young still. Uh, but as I said again, you know, if you come in as a defender. It's great to attack, but if you don't know how to defend 1v1, you probably won't make the team or the next level. So, you know, those are little things that, 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 that I would always hit home with uh, with those players. And the longer they were with me, we would obviously discuss also off-the-field uh, things and what is it like to be a good pro and taking care of yourself. But I think at, at the end of the day, I think uh, the most important thing is just, just, just allow players to be themselves, express express yourself and and and, and enjoy the game really because a lot of times we, we forget about that part. 
I'm, I'm going to ask something that you, you don't have to answer, but what happened with, with Nevin Sabotich? Oh, that's a that's a real old story, but <laughs> it was very simple. Uh, uh, let me see how good my memory is. Nevin was at Mines at that time. Uh, played still for the reserves. Had been in uh, in Europe for a few months. Um, brought him back for a few games in Florida, just like I did with Michael Bradley. And I brought them both in after two games and just said, you know, I'm a little disappointed because I thought you guys would have made some uh, bigger strides uh, being in Europe. Um, and and I really haven't seen that. So, you know, I hope that you are in the right environment. You know, that was really the, the most important thing. And Michael Bradley ran with it, and, and Sabotic must have somewhat misinterpreted, uh, went back to, uh, to Mines. I invited him again. Uh, invited him for the World Cup. Uh, somehow his agent told me he was injured. Uh, so the story that he wasn't welcome or invited uh, oh, is obviously not one that uh, that holds any truism. And uh, as I said again, it, it was really <laughs> a very small item. And I know it's blown up now because he ended up playing somewhere else. And you said a little bit as an excuse, but. Uh, uh, I, I think I was used as a scapegoat by, uh, in particular, by his agent that played uh, played a pretty 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 interesting game here. But that, that's fine. It's uh, to me, it's no biggie. Um, uh, I know for a lot of people, it still is. But <laughs> yeah, I don't lose I don't, I don't lose sleep over it. Believe me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, something happened um, over the summer um, with with Landon Donovan and Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, what what were your thoughts on that on that situation, um, and how would you have handled it as a coach and to the media? Because to us, that was a very big thing, you know, Landon Donovan being yeah. the best player the the U.S. has ever produced. Yeah, I, I again, I can't comment on that. Just like the same that you and Clinton probably couldn't comment on something that would happen with the Tempe Lions because he's not he's not here, and I can't. You can speculate whatever you want. You could take Lennon's side, you could take Jurgen's side, you could stay in the middle. Uh, I don't think that everybody will find out ever what the truth is. Uh, is it because of Lennon played poorly at Byron and Jurgen lost his uh, job there and he wanted to, he wanted to repay him? Uh, whatever. It's, it's, it's all irrelevant uh, because nobody really knows. So um, that's between Jurgen and, 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 and Lennon. Uh, as I said again, a lot of coaches make sometimes decisions that aren't necessarily welcomed by uh, by the press. I'm sure that Jurgen, you like to think that Jurgen did it for the best interest of the team. Um, that's one thing that, that I always do. Um, you know, uh, you might not like me, but at least at the end of the day, I'm honest, I'm, I'm direct, and that's why most players respect me because I, I don't sugarcoat things and I don't bullshit people and and. Um, that's why even the symbolic thing is a little bit out of character because it has not, I've touched thousands of players. Um, yeah. And he's the first one to use that. So I, I, I can't comment on the, on the Lennon or, or Clinton situation. Mm-hmm. Really well, what, what really interests me is that you started your career as a coach, coaching, you, you coached two high schools. Yeah. How how did how did um because because I know you 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 coached at Pope John uh, Pope John Pope Paul uh, the second high school the second no? yeah in Boca Raton yeah. correct and then you went over to uh, Nova and then you um no I was I went to South Plantation High School and then I mm-hmm. coached uh, an NAIA school which is now Division Two Nova Southeastern yeah. Then and at you the same went to time, the... I owned a I owned a soccer store. I taught the languages of Berlitz. I speak five languages fluently. Uh, I was a director of coaching of a youth club called the Plantation Soccer. So those were those were great times. I worked my ass off. I ran all over the place, but it laid the foundation for me to become eventually a professional coach. Which, which you know, uh, I was very fortunate to have taken my my licenses while I was still playing. 
so I, be, I became a fairly young coach of the Fort Lauderdale Strikers in the APSL and then in 96, a fairly young coach in, in, in MLS. What, what what do you have, like, what's your advice for for someone who wants to get in, into coaching? I mean, I'm trying to currently get into it. I mean, I've, I've, I'm currently, well, I coached, I've only coached uh, really young kids. Um, I mean, what, what, what sort of advice do you have? I, I, gosh, it, that that's very hard. You know, I mean, a lot of people say, and and obviously you have to. We want to go to the highest level. You need to get your licenses, and and there's some good courses out there. Uh, the USSF, the NSCA. Uh, I think early on, if you go with a young group, it can be a little bit of trial and error. Uh, I mean, I coached under eights. I've coached under tens. I coached two high school teams. I coached the college team. Um, and and eventually I honed my skills over time. Um, never lost touch with with the you know the 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 grassroots so to speak uh, for a long long period of time. So that was very healthy for me. I, I would recommend for anybody to start with very young kids first and foremost, which is the hardest part actually of coaching, and and it doesn't get paid. Uh, a lot or any for that matter. That's why you don't see any good coaches there. But we we need to get better coaches on the on the ground floor um, in order for us to to produce exceptional players. We've we've produced some good players, but never exceptional players. And I think the reason why is because between ages eight and twelve and fourteen, they don't get the proper fundamentals that that are the foundation that really allows you to become a very very good player. So. Um, you know, keep an open mind. Um, be be human. Be vulnerable at times. Um, let the ball be the teacher. You know, I think those are those are all for young kids most important. Let them explore to a certain extent. Um, you know, and and then I think any coach will will find his niche. You know, and then and, and will move up and maybe a very competitive team eventually after a year or two is where he wants to be and, and, and where he can be successful and where he derives the most enjoyment too. It's not all about the kids. It also it's about you, you know, do you enjoy this experience? Cause that's, that's important. You, you said some of the fundamentals, what are, what are the fundamentals? Uh, you know, and it's hard to duplicate. I mean, when I grew up, I played a lot of street soccer and I had organized practice too. Don't get me wrong, but, I probably honed my skills more in the streets than I did with my my club team. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why we're still in a in a huge disadvantage because we're we're, we're almost too organized. Um, saying that though, if I look at at our American players, there's just certain technical skills that we haven't really mastered yet. That's that's striking balls from distance. Uh, that's striking balls properly over over, you know, from distance to goal, I mean, and, and, and the other one is, is switching the point of attack. We just don't have a, a good thing for that. I, I, yes, we are athletic, but I still think that our players can be better in the, uh, better in the air. Um, our first touch is not as clean as, as some of the top players in the world. Um, and your first touch buys you an incredible amount of time if, if it's the right one. Um and 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 again, you know, and that's all in structured environments. Uh, we somehow need to recreate again beach football like they do in Copacabana, or street football like they do in Argentina and Colombia, uh, or in Spain for that matter. Still, and and I just don't see too much of that. I just don't see enough pickup soccer uh, where a 12-year-old plays with a 16-year-old or with his brother against adults. Uh, that's how the Mexicans do it. That's how the you know we 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 just don't have that soccer culture. I don't think we will ever get that. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have to artificially sometimes manufacture that, and artificially manufacturing things like that are it's very hard to do, and 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 becomes artificial to be real honest with you, and uh, and and unhealthy. So uh, we have a long ways to go, but I think uh, in the right environments. You know, and MLS is going to help with all their academies. Uh, Bradenton still will help. Uh, I think the more and more we see club investing in their in their youth systems and in their infrastructure, that we we can see uh, consistently some very high level players coming coming through this country.
All right, Mr. Rongan, thank you for your time. We really appreciated um, interviewing you. We no really problem. Thank, we really, really thank you, you know, listening, um, you know, just because we're such a little podcast, you know, thank you. Oh, no problem. Uh, lady and gentlemen, thank you very much, and uh, it was a pleasure being on. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.